This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, maliki wa middin, Allahumma laka alhamdu wa ilayka al-mushtaka wa bika thiqatu wa alayka al-tuklan wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyu al-azim. رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم لا سهر إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن إذا أشيت سهلا اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن اهتدى بهديه واستنى بسنته ودعا بدعوته إلى يوم الدين We're continuing our regular weekly tafsir We were at قوله تعالى ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر في هسمه وسعى في خرابها. We are still doing Surah Al-Baqarah. We haven't even. We almost about to finish the first juz. And I've mentioned many times that a a large portion of the surah is dealing with the Banu Israel. And now we are at towards the end of it. Last time we spoke uh, in verse 113 and the verse that came before, it was talking about the Yahud and the Nasara, the Christians and the Jews. Why? Because Rasulullah is coming into contact with them now as opposed to the Mushrikeen in Mecca. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about their belief and how they refuse to properly believe in the Torah and also refuse to follow Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is basically the mihwar. The story between the Yahud and the Prophet was they recognized them as a messenger but due to their envy and their jealousy they couldn't help themselves but to deny him. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the danger of one uh, not and this happens in a smaller scale to a lot of people. When you can't agree to the haqq based because of your own ego. How often does that happen? You know you're in the wrong, but you still argue. You know you're in the wrong, but you still deny. Now, times that by a hundred, and this is what you're dealing with with the Yahud and the Nasara. They, Allah says in the Quran, أبناءهم, They knew Rasulullah like they knew their own children, yet they refused to believe in him. Then Allah mentioned some of their claims and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuked them. Such as their claim, if Allah gave us the Torah, then that should be enough, we don't need the Quran. If Allah gave us Prophet Musa, that should be enough, we do not need Muhammad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tackled this issue with the concept of abrogation and naskh, uh, which we covered a few weeks ago, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whatever verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaces with a better verse, if Allah removes it, similarly Allah removed the Torah being a kitab that we live by and replaces with the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced Prophet Muhammad with all of the other messengers that came before him. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dispelled some of their beliefs that they were Ahlul Jannah. Allah says, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ وَالنَّصَارَى uh, that's in Surah Ma'idah. They said, لَن يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ لَن يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ No one will enter Jannah. إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ هُودٌ أَوْ نَصَارَ Except one that is a Yahud or a Nasrani. So here Allah says, this is not the case. You won't enter Jannah because you're a Yahudi. And you won't enter Jannah because you're a Nasrani. You will enter Jannah if you submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. بَلَى مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ 
through submission to Allah and righteousness will you enter into Jannah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that don't think that the Yahud and the Nasara themselves are in agreement, rather they are in disagreement. Allah says, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودِ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ لَيْسَ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ So the Nasara, the Yahud said, the Nasara are upon nothing, they're wrong. So the Yahud believe that Isa was not a prophet, that Maryam was not a saint, a, someone that is pure, uh, and, and they didn't believe this. So they refused to follow Isa. And similarly, uh, they also refused to uh, believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that's kufr upon kufr upon kufr. Similarly with the, with, with the, with the Nasara, they believed in Isa, but they made him a god, or the son of God, both which are against the teachings of Isa himself. But they themselves also don't agree. So because you often hear Ahlul Kitab, Ahlul Kitab, and they mention together, or you hear Al-Yahud and Nasara, don't assume that they are in agreement, rather they make takfir of within themselves, or they also excommunicate themselves. So the Yahud says the Nasara are upon nothing, and the Nasara say the Yahud are upon nothing. And then Allah finally said, فَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Allah will judge between them on day of judgment. Uh, this is where we left off. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verse 114 says, These people that are claiming that they are upon the truth, these people that are claiming that they are upon the haq, that they are ahlul jannah, that they are abna'ullah, that they are sha'abullah uh, al-mukhtar, um, the chosen people. These people, Allah mentions how dare they make these claims when there is no one that is more unjust than them. No one is more wrong than them. There is no one that has done a greater harm and oppression than them. Why? Allah says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ And who is more just? Who is more just? Than the person, meaning no one is more unjust than the person. مِمَّنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِي هَسْمُهُ وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا Who is more unjust than those who denied people to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his masajid. Mana'u masajid Allah and yudhkara fi They deny the people to worship Allah in the masajid, in the places of worship. Who is this verse referring to? The ulama, they mention a few people that this verse can be applied to. Number one, they say it can be applied to the mushrikeen. And this is what Ibn Kathir goes with. He says, the people that refused Others to pray, to establish the salah, to make dhikr, were the kuffar Quraysh, the mushrikeen. Who did they refuse? They refused the Prophet and the Sahaba. Clearly, they wouldn't allow them to enter the masjid and pray peacefully. They stopped them in Hudaybiyah. In Hudaybiyah, when the uh, believers, the Sahaba, the Muhajirin, and the Ansar, and the Prophet, they went to make Umrah. And they were stopped by Kufar Quraysh, the mushrikeen, the polytheists, the Arabs. They stopped them from entering into the haram. And there is no greater dhulm than stopping one hoping to worship Allah from doing so. So, Ibn Kathir and uh, many ulama, they go with the uh, tafsir that this verse is talking about the mushriki al-Arab. فَإِنَّهُمْ مَنَعُوا النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مِنْ الدُّخُولِ إِلَى مَسْجِدِ الْحَرَمْ They stopped the Prophet and from entering into the holy masjid. Some other ulama, like Ibn Jirr al-Tabari, he says this is not talking about the kuffar Quraysh. At all. Rather, it is talking about the Nasara. And he says 
based on the previous verse where we were speaking about the Yehud and the Nasara and their relationship, what did the Nasara do when they came into power? And he mentions that historically that uh, the Yehud at one point were, especially during the power of the, uh, of the, uh, the Roman church, uh, they heavily uh, were against the Yehud in, in, uh, in, and they didn't allow them to worship and they refused them to pray in the Temple Mount. And they, at one point even, and this is what Ibn Jarir mentions, he mentions that uh, they, they try to forcefully remove the Yehud and stop them from worshipping and they used the Persian uh, conqueror Nabukht uh, Nasr Al-Muhim in any case he says I is referring to them so the Nasara how dare they claim that they were Ahlul Jannah when they refused people worshipping Allah and there are some other evidence that suggests it's not just the Nasara, it is not just Kuffar Quraysh, it is anyone and everyone that has ever stopped someone from praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ Who is more unjust? مِمَّنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِي هَسْمُهُ Than the one who stops and forbids Allah's name being glorified in the Masajid. Here you learn the purpose of the Masajid. What is the purpose of the masjid? It is to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yudhkara fi hasmuhu. And yudhkara fi hasmuhu. And this is why Allah says in Surah An-Nur, fi buyutin adhin Allahu an turfa'u yudhkara fi hasmuhu yusabbihu fiha bilghudu'i wal-asali rijal. Right? The purpose of the masjid is to glorify Allah and to pray. This is why the masjid is built and what it should be used for, number one. Number two, you're not allowed to stop anyone from doing that. There is no greater dhulm whether it is Quraysh stopping the Prophet from entering to the Haram, or the Nasara uh, oppressing the Yahud. And interestingly enough, Ikhwani Fillah, among the Khulafa who uh, conquered uh, Quds, who was it? Umar al Khattab. And when he did, he found that the, uh, the Masjid, Masjid al Aqsa, it was ruined. It was turned into a dumpyard. He, he, he cleaned it up himself and the Sahaba. And turns into a place of worship. This is what the harab that is being referenced here. So they ruined it. Who is more zalim uh, than the one who ruins the places where Allah's name should be uh, glorified and mentioned? This is a literal ruin. This is a literal. They, they literally made it into a place where they would dump their awsakh in. They, they will dump uh, their junk and their taib. Uh, um, but that's not the only way you do takhrib. And who is more oppressive than the one who forbids people from glorifying Allah in the mosques and also strives for its ruin? So we understand forbidding people. You forbid them to pray, you forbid them to enter. This is what they have done. Now what does it mean to strive for its ruin? This can mean ma'nawi and hissi. Striving for its ruin could mean literally destroying it. Right? Decimating it. Right? This would be ruining this. It also means ruining it by not establishing worship in it. By committing shirk in it. By ruining what it is meant for. Who turned into a place of worship, turned it into a place of shirk? The Arabs. They ruined the haram. By doing what? By putting in there what? The idols. هذا إذن نوع من أنواع التخريب. طيب. ومن أظلم who is more oppressive? And the one who refuses and forbids others from entering into the masajid of Allah and for Allah's name to be mentioned. 
and strives for its ruin. Right? So, the ruining of the places of worship is alamat min alamat al-zalamati wal-kuffar. And you had Abraha with his elephants trying to destroy the Kaaba. You had the, uh, we mentioned the example of the Nasara earlier. And there are many examples to this. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about these types of people? First, we already know لا أحد أظلم منهم There's no one more oppressive than them What else do we learn? We learn that um, Allah says أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين If it was not fitting for those people Those types of people To even enter into these mosques Except in fear Those that dare to ruin The places of worship they are, they, it is not fitting for them to enter into these places except in fear. What khaifin min man, khaifin min Allah, khaifin min al-Muslimin, they should be in fear. Meaning what? No one should be able to dare ruin a place of worship. And an example that can be given, if you go with the tafsir of uh, Ibn Kathir, مثلاً, what Ibn Kathir say is referring to the kuffar Quraysh. And what example did he give? The example of them stopping the Sahaba and the Prophet from praying and entering into Masjidul Haram. Once Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the Sahaba they uh, conquered Mecca and they cleansed the Masjidul Haram from shirk, then it was not befitting for the Mushrikeen to enter into the Haram, and they later on would be forbidden from it completely. So this is referring to that they should be forbidden from entering into it completely. Right? The Prophet said in a hadith, وَلَا يَحُجُّ بَعْدَ الْعَامِ هَذَا مُشْرِكٌ وَلَا يَضَافُ حَوْلَ الْكَعْبَةِ عُرْيَانٌ أو كما قال No polytheist should make hajj towards the haram after this year, nor should anyone make tawaf naked. Because that's one of the things that they used to do. The Quraysh would make tawaf around the Kaaba without any clothing. And their logic was that they believed we cannot um, worship our idols in the clothes we've sinned in. So they would do this. Very abhorrent thing to be, if you think about it. And uh, so the Prophet, he, he refused them to ever come back. And this is an interesting mas'ala fiqih, ikhwani fillah. Is a person that isn't a Muslim allowed to enter into a mosque? A person that isn't Muslim allowed to enter into a mosque? The asal is, um, yes, they can, except for the haram. They can, except for the haram, and especially if there is a, a, a reason for it, and you, there are many examples of that. Uh, also, illa uh, khaifin is referring to, it is not fitting for such people to enter into the masajid, except khaifin. Umar al-Khattab did not allow the, uh, the Christians to enter into Masjid al-Aqsa, or he wouldn't allow them. Because they took part in its ruin to, to begin with, right? So this is part of the mana. And if they were to come, accept with a ahd, with a promise for a good reason, and then even then they should be have have humility, right? Because they were the one that caused the kharab to begin with. وَمَنْ أَبْلَغُ مِنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ يُذْكَرَ فِيهَا اسْمُهُ وَسَعَ فِي خَرَابِهَا أُولَئِكَ مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ أَنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا For them it is not fitting to enter these masajid. إِلَّا خَائِفِينَ Except fearful. لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيٌ in this world, Allah said they will be disgraced. وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And in the hereafter, a great torment is waiting for them. 
There is no greater sin, ikhwanifillah, than stopping people from worshipping. Stopping people from worshipping. There is no greater sin. If, especially those that run masajid, those that are in charge of the masajid, remember, someone knocks the door, they want to pray, you got to let them in. I know in the countries that we live in, we sometimes close the masajid, right? And you have no choice, but you have to close the masjid. It's just the nature of what we live in. But you're about to close, someone tells you, I want to pray. Right? It's inconvenient for you, you want to go home. What is your inconvenience compared to that person that wants to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is your inconvenience compared to that person? Right? Uh, these masajids are for Allah. And any worshiper that wants to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they should be let. Could there be extenuating circumstances? Of course. Right? We don't look at the... But umuman. The masajid should be open for everyone that is worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should be open for i'tikaf. They, they should be open for ibadah. They should be open for glorification. Let the people worship Allah in the masajid. And let, don't ever come under the verse, وَمَنْ أَظْلَوْ مِمَّنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِي هَسْمُهُ وَسَعَ فِي خَرَابِهَا I saw the other day a video of a masjid that was uh, refusing some sisters to enter. Now I don't, I don't know the full story. I don't know the full story and because of that I'm not going to say those brothers were wrong or right. But it didn't look good. Maybe they had a good reason. Maybe they knew them. Maybe the sisters were causing trouble. I don't know the full story. But they created the video and they recorded themselves. Please, we want to pray Maghrib. Please, we want to pray Maghrib. And they were refused. Allahu a'lam the haqiqah. And I'm not going to say the brothers that refused them were blameworthy. I'm not going to say that because I don't know the full story. But it was not a good sight. It was not a good sight. And uh, this is why we should be careful, ikhwani fillah. Right? If it's in, even if it's inconveniencing you, right? The messages of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are meant for ibadah. And uh, this reverse we mentioned is referring mainly to either Kufar or Quraysh or the Nasara and the Yehud. وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبِ Here we go into a new verse, verse 115. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبِ And to Allah belong the east and the west. To Allah belongs the east and the west. فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ So wherever you turn, there is the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wasi'un and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim. He is surely all-sufficient and all-knowing. طيب. إخواني في الله, this ayah has a سبب النزول. And it is the first time you come across a verse that is referring to an actual abrogation. You've already learned about the concept of abrogation. You've already learned about naskh. And we give examples of that. Uh, Ibn Abbas mentions أول نسخ في كتاب الله تحويل القبلة that the first abrogation in the kitab of Allah the first time a ruling was replaced with another rule was the changing of the qibla and the details of the changing of the qibla we'll cover that in future lessons we haven't gotten there yet but this verse is referring to that according to some of the ulama they say the, uh, the qibla at first at first where did the Muslims and the Sahaba and the Nabi, where did they used to pray to? Who can tell me? What was the first Qibla? Masjid al-Aqsa. Masjid al-Aqsa was the first Qibla. While the Prophet was in Mecca, he would also face the Kaaba. So he would face the Kaaba, he would position himself in a way where he's facing the Kaaba and Masjid al-Aqsa as well. This is how he would like to pray. So Rasulullah loved to pray towards the Kaaba. When they go to Medina, he can't do that anymore. So whenever he faces Masjid al-Aqsa, he is not facing the Kaaba. So for a while, for how much exact? 16 or 17 months. 
In Medina, for 16 or 17 months, the salah was towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. Then, it was changed. Verses were revealed. قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبُ وَجِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَالْنُوَلِّيَنَّكِ قِبْلَةٍ تَرَبَاهَا فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ خِرْضَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that uh, ordered Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to change the qibla towards Masjid Al-Haram, right? The sacred mosque, the haram, the Kaaba. So that became the new qibla. This was the first time a ruling that was established was removed, replaced with another ruling. Faced Masjid Al-Aqsa, replaced with face Masjid Al-Haram. When this happened, the, uh, the, the Yahud, they said, uh, first of all, it, resort, it resulted in many, some of the Yahud actually leaving Islam. Right? And, they said, and this was a test as well. And there's a lot of benefits in this as well. Among them is, when this happened, Badr is really close as well. And the ranks of the Muslims were cleansed from anyone that wasn't really a Muslim, because it was a test. Right? Especially for those that saw the Yahud, that accepted Islam. That saw Masjid al-Aqsa as uh, something that should be respected, and it should be. When your when it's changed to Masjid al-Haram, how will you feel about it? If you're a true Muslim, will you care, or will you just follow the Prophet? You will follow the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And there were many fawaid of Tahwil al-Qibla as well. Uh, Al-Muhim. Then, what happens to the prayers before? Number one, are they accepted or not? The prayers that was prayed towards uh, Masjid al-Aqsa. Two, what? Uh, why is the Qibla being changed? So the question was, why? What's the point of the Qibla being changed? Why is Allah doing this? And Allah answered this question, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ To Allah belongs the East and the West. كُلَّهَا مِنْ مَخْلُوقَاتِ اللَّهِ كُلُّهَا لِلَّهِ It belongs to Allah. فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا Wherever you turn, فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ There you will find the wajh of Allah, the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we're praying, we are praying towards the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's many hadiths that say this. And when we, this is, and we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the sifa of wajh, and we believe it is a sifa and an attribute that is befitting of His Majesty. You will find some scholars that translate wajh here as qibla. And uh, this is attributed to, I believe, is Sayyid uh, ibn or Abdullah ibn Abbas, that he made tafsir of wajh to qibla. So the wajh here, the face here, from the context, is referring to wherever you turn is going to be the qibla that you should pray to. And many scholars, they say that this is, and Ibn Taymiyyah is one of them, that would say this is the qibla, this is not from the ayat of sifat, it's not from the ayat of attributes, but we understand from other verses that Allah has the attribute of al-wajh, right? And the day of judgment, after everyone goes to Jannah, among the greatest pleasures of the Ahlul Jannah is that they will get to see uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, majestic face. May Allah make us among those that see him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. But in any case, here you learn what? To Allah belongs the East and the West. Wherever you face, it is the place of worship. It is where it, it, and there is a fiqhi mas'ala here that is quite important to remember as well. That is quite important to remember as well. Uh, and that is... There are certain times where you don't have to face the Qibla, the actual Qibla. The Qibla is this, this way, right? And in Salah, we have to face it. To face the Qibla, is it optional or obligatory? Who can tell me? To face the Qibla, is it optional or obligatory? Is it, can we face that way to pray? Would that Salah be accepted? It would not be accepted. There are times where you don't have to face the Qibla. There are times where you don't have to face the Qibla. Number one. You don't have to face the Qibla if you, um, or you are forgiven for not facing the Qibla. 
if you don't know where the Qibla is. Let's say we are traveling somewhere or it's at night or we are in a place and we can't tell where the Qibla is. Is it this way, that way, or you moved into a new house and you're confused and you don't know where the Qibla is, you have no one to ask. What do you do? You, you, you try your best. You do ijtihad. You try your best. You, wherever you really think the Qibla is, that's where you pray, right? And then after you pray, after you pray your salah, you find out later, oh, actually the Qibla was this way. You were wrong. Do you have to do your salah again? No. What's the dalil for aina matwallu fatamawajhullah? Wherever you face this, is, does that make sense? This ayah is used as a dalil for that. So that's one time where you are forgiven from not facing the qibla. When you try your best and you do not know. And you know what they say, this, this is an interesting masala as well. If there's four of you, and all four of you don't know where the qibla is, right? And you disagree. You know, Allah, I think it's this way. No, 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 I'm sure we came from this way and therefore it's that way. Can you um, say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll just listen to you if you disagree? No, you can't. If me and Guled disagree, for example, he says the Qibla is this way, and I say the Qibla is that way, we're not allowed to pray with each other because we're facing different sides, right? We're not allowed to, each one of us has to pray where we think the Qibla is. And if we disagree, we disagree. Right? If you convince the person and say, you know what, I think it's this way because we came from there and the sun or whatever, you convince him, that's fine. But if you don't convince him, he's not allowed to pray to a place where he doesn't think the Qibla is. And I'm not allowed to pray in a place where I don't think the Qibla is, so you will pray in different places. And some, in, in this instance, this happened during the time of the Sahaba as well. Um, the other time where you don't have to face the Qibla is when you are in danger or in times of battle. Right? In danger or in times of battle or and it is salah time. Uh, when the when the Sahaba were for example in the Battle of Uhud or the Battle of Badr or when they were in and it is salah time, did they used to delay the salah? No. And they used to have uh, depending on for example if they uh, depending on where the enemy is, if the enemy is away from the qibla for example, and there were options and then sometimes you don't have to face the qibla, or if you're in the middle of the fight, then you would you would your whole prayer would become just saying the statements and moving your head a little bit because you can't do more than that. Does that make sense? And so you don't have to face the qibla. Uh, the final time, and this is one that many people don't benefit from, is when you're praying a sunnah prayer and you're traveling. If you're praying in nafila and you're traveling, many of us we travel. We travel in cars, we travel in buses, and you're sitting down. You can pray. Even if you're traveling that way, the Qibla is that way, right? If you're on a bus, I don't know what, I don't know what, what city is that way. I was going to name a city, but I have no idea what that direction is. But let's assume you're going that way and you're on a bus. And you want to pray. You can say Allahu Akbar and pray the Sunnah prayers. Even though you're not facing the Qibla. But what are the conditions? You must be traveling and it must be a Sunnah prayer. If there is a wadi prayer, then pray it Unless you have no choice Like in a plane, you have no choice You can't get off But if you're driving, for example And there are passengers And they want to pray a nafila prayer They don't have to face the qibla The Rasulullah and Abdullah ibn Umar as well When he was traveling He would be on his camel And sometimes he would turn his camel towards the qibla Say Allahu Akbar And then turn it back to where he's going And he would pray Right? He's traveling and he's praying. Of course, he's seated as well. He's seated, he's away from the Qibla. 
Sometimes he will just say Allah Akbar and pray towards wherever he's going. Wherever you face. Is that understood? These are times. How many did you mention? Three? Those are times where you don't have to face. Other than that, it is wajib upon you to face the Qibla. And to Allah belongs the Mashriq and the Maghrib, east and west. Wherever you face, you will find the wajah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah wasi'un alim. And they said, Who said? The Nasara. Who else? The Yahud. Who else? The Mushrikeen. The Nasara, the Christians, the Yahud, the Jews, and the Mushrikeen, the polytheists, they all said, Allah has taken a begotten child. Allah has taken a begotten child. Allah has taken a child. What did the Mushrikeen say? The Mushrikeen, they said, The angels are the daughters of God. And the Nasara, they said, Isa ibn Allah. And the Yahudi said, Uzair ibn Allah. Uzair is the son of Allah. And the Nasara, they said, Al-Masihu ibn Allah. That Isa is the son of Allah. Subhanah. Glory be to him. The word subhanah, ikhwani fillah, tasbih, is usually translated in English as glorification. Subhanallah. Glory be to who? To Allah. Tasbih and tusabih, it means tanzihu naqais anilah. It is to affirm all perfection to Allah and to remove all imperfection from Allah. That's what subhanallah means. Right? Subhanallah is Allahu munazzahun an kulli aybin wa naqs. Allah is free from every type of shortcoming and naqs. He is perfect. And to attribute to Allah a child, something that the creation of Allah do, something that people do because they need to, right? We, we need our children to take care of us when we grow up. We need children. We have, we, 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 this is, a, is human nature. This is nature of the creation, right? To have offspring, right? To procreate, right? To uh, populate. Right? And it is among the greatest insults to the creation, to, to, to the creator. This is why Allah says in Surah to Maryam, uh, if he said it's, it's certainly a terrible thing. And walada. Right? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that this statement of attributing uh, attributing uh, children to Allah the heavens and the earth ripped open are of just how terrible that statement is how terrible that statement is right it goes against everything the prophets thought it goes against everything the, the messenger of Allah stood for. It goes against the tawheed of Allah. It goes against the perfection of Allah. Subhanah. Glory be to him. He is free from all types of imperfection. Jalla Jalaluhu. Bal. Rather. Rather than Allah being attributed to something like this. Lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi To him belongs all that is in the heavens and the earth. Kullun lahu qanitun. All that exists surrenders to Allah in obedience. Kullun lahu qanitun. Right? Everything is doing qunut. Meaning what? Everything is in need of Allah. Everything is submitting to Allah. Everything comes under the authority and power of the Almighty. Kullun lahu qanitun. 
How would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even require this? قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ سَمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ طيب. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so, وَقَالُوا تَخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدًا سُبْحَانَهُ بَلْ لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَرَضِ كُلُّ اللَّهُ وَقَالِتُونَ Some of the, one of the adab, the adab of reading the Qur'an that Imam al-Nawwi mentions uh, in his book, Tibyan fi Adabi Hamalat al-Qur'an. He mentions a very nice mannerism as when reading the Qur'an. Sometimes when you read the Qur'an, you come across statements where Allah is telling us a statement that was said by non-believers. A statement that is unbefitting of Allah. Right? And he said, from the adab is when you're reading that, you lower your voice. Right? You lower your voice. Uh, and you don't, like, you know how sometimes reciters, they sometimes raise their voice, right? When you come to these statements, almost feel, uh, like, think about the statement you're saying is a very evil statement. But you're reading the Quran and you're, Allah talked about it. So you, and from the good mannerism is that, so, for example, وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدًا سُبْحَانَهُ The Subhanah, you can raise that, right? Sometimes you have people, they do the opposite because they don't know. For example, when in Surah Al-Imran, I believe, when Allah says, uh, for example, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ يَدُ اللَّهِ مَغْلُولَةً when they غُلَّتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَلُعُنُوا بِمَا قَالُوا بَلْ يَدَاهُمْ مُسْلُطَانِ يُنْفِقُ كَيْفَ يَشَاءَ When the Yahud said that uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands are, are, are closed, meaning Allah is, is uh, بالله, they said that he, he is someone that doesn't give. Right? When you're reading these, don't raise your voice. Like, have some haya. This is what Imam al said. Right? And some people, they might repeat this. وَقَالَتِ yeah, They repeat it, right? Uh, and don't or 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 um, you know when they said Inna Allah faqirun they they will say it loudly and like and the ulama some they say have some haya when you're reading this because they were really heinous statements that were made by evil people and Subhanahu billahu ma fi samawati wal ard yakunu lahu qanitun badi'u samawati wal ard Allah is the badi' Allah is badi'u samawati wal ard badi' it means the creator But Allah is the creator of the heavens and the earth But the word badi' has more meaning Badi' means the originator The first مِنْ غَيْرِ مِثَالٍ سَابِقٍ مَنْ فَعَلَ شَيْئًا مِنْ غَيْرِ مِثَالٍ سَابِقٍ يُسَمَّى بَدِيعٍ This is why Al-Ibda' or Mubdi' is the creative person وَمِنْهُ أَيْذًا الْبِدْعَةِ Bid'ah is to do something new Right? Right? Something that you haven't seen done before Right? So, with regards to Allah, this is a praise. Praise. Allah is the originator. He, Allah, when He's the first to have created, the only that has created, and the originator of the heavens and the, the earth. Um, so, Badi'ah is the first person to do something. So the, first person to, the first person to make a micro, micro, microphone sorry, is a Badi'ah. The person that copied it is not. Does that make sense? So, this is referring to the fact that Allah did not copy from anything else. Allah is Badi'u Samawati Wal Ard. And it's like I said, even the word Bid'a, it comes from this. And you will learn often these words, if they have the same root letters, they carry the same meaning, right? Badi'a, Ibda', Bid'a, Ibtida'. So, Bid'a is when you do Ihdatu Shay'un Jadidun Fiddin Lam Yakun Minhu. When you introduce something new to the religion that is not part of it. So, what is the common denominator between Badi' and Bid'ah? Badi' the originator, Allah is the originator of the heavens and the earth. A Bid'ah is when you originate something that wasn't part of religion and you add to it. And what is the hukum of doing Bid'ah? 
of course it is not allowed of course it is not allowed uh, Allah is badi'us samawati wal ard right again this is refuting for the need to have a child Allah is badi'us samawati wal ard subhanahu lahu ma fi samawati wa fi Allah owns what's in the heavens and the earth he is the creator and the originator of what's in the heavens and the earth wa idha qada amran وَإِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ And when he decrees a matter, when Allah wants something, or Allah decrees something, فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ All he says is, كُنْ بِي فَيَكُونَ And it is. So, Allah is the originator of the heavens and the earth. And when he decrees a matter, هُوَ الَّذِي أَمْرُهُ بَيْنَ الْكَافِ وَالنُّونَ كَمَا يُقَالَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كُنْ بِي And then it is. This is how Allah creates. Is Allah, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates Allah is a samad A samad is the eternally besought of all The one who is not in need of anything And all are in need of him Everything is in need of Allah Allah has no needs This is who Allah is Allah is a samad And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is samad And because he is a samad Lam yalid wa lam yulad Because he is a samad Lam yalid wa lam yulad um, one more time, we're going to read all the verses, and inshallah, we're going to conclude there. And who are more unjust than those who have forbidden that Allah's name is mentioned and glorified in the masajid, and they strive for its ruin? It is not fitting for those type of people to enter into the masajid except in a fearful state. In this world, they will be disgraced. What is an example of someone trying to ruin a masjid and being disgraced in this world? Ashabul Fil. Ashabul Fil is an example of that. The people of the elephant, they try to ruin the Kaaba, Allah disgraced them in this world. And in the hereafter, they will have a great torment. Uh, and to Allah belongs the Mashriq and the Maghrib, the East and the West. So wherever you turn, you will find is the face of Allah. Uh, Allah is sufficient in his fadl for all of his creations, alimun all knowing. And they, the Yahud, the Christians and the pagans said Allah has taken a son or a child. Subhanahu, glory be to him, he is free from all imperfection. Rather, to him belongs all in the heavens and the earth. All surrender to him in obedience. Allah is the originator of the heavens and the earth. وَإِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا And if he decrees a matter فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ He only says to that matter كُنْ بِي فَيَكُونَ Then it is هَذَا وَأَخْرِ دَعْوَانًا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَصَلَى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَى نَبِينَ مُحَمَدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِ أَجْمَعِينَ This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.